Hello everyone and welcome back to Tough Love. This is episode 25 and today we have a special guest, Cosima Octavia. And I met her at uh, Heritage Camps, Latin American um, Heritage Camps, and we were on a panel together. And I just thought it was really important for everyone to hear their story and what they have to offer. And I want to tell you guys that this is, we're going to be talking about some intense things, drug use, um, suicide, homelessness, abuse. And so if that is not something you're comfortable with, um, please skip this episode. Oh, um, self-harm probably as well. Great. And self-harm as well. Thank you for that. So welcome. And I'd love to start just where you are right here, right now, in this um, in this moment of your life, if you just want to talk a little bit about adoption and how you feel like it shaped your life and how it got you to this point, I think that's a good place to start. I'm Kasim Octavia. I am pursuing a career in tattoos and body modification, as well as uh, working as a cook in Denver. Um, I'm also trans and live in a student housing right now, I guess. You know, just a crappy one bedroom student apartment trying to make ends meet like everyone else is. You know, I'm still trying to figure out everything that I want with my life. And, you know, I'm 22 years old, so I feel like that's pretty normal. And just trying to, you know, enjoy every single day that I possibly can to as much as I can. And I think that's a very important lesson that it took me a long time to learn. But I think that's like a huge lesson because days are shit, but they're always, you know, maybe if it's even just, you know, coming home and like, feeling that air conditioning which is weird to say but like living in a car you grow like like my car air conditioning broke like a week ago and my first thought was ah it's not that bad I've had our car most of my cars didn't have air conditioning anyways but like I had but then I come home and I'm like oh yeah that is nice because I'm just so conditioned to be like whatever it is what it is and just keep going on and it's the little things that I think people forget is like, you have to just cherish like, Oh, you know, even though I'm eating out of a can of chicken, it's still food. And, you know, I'm not climbing into dumpsters anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's such a good point to remember the little things that see that I think I definitely take for granted, you know, a roof over my head, air conditioning, food to eat. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in your adoptive family? A war zone is the best way to put it. Um, So I was adopted at six months old um, to a white mother and father. And they kind of just saw adoptive kids as Barbie dolls to like mold into whatever they want. And didn't really think like, what about the mental health? What about the, you know, gender or mental aspect of anything? You know, what happens if, this kid has other aspirations than what I have planned out for them. Because originally my father and my mother wanted me as, you know, the jock sports kid who would go to college and, you know, pursue a career in whatever. And, you know, that kid. And clearly they did not get that. You know, I'm a little punk, you know, street rat who enjoys art and, you know, in every way that it possibly can be imagined. And, I love music and I love chaos in general, (laughs) like good chaos, I should put, but like that, like 
chaotic energy that you have with friends where it's like, ah, you know, one second you might be going to a concert and then the other, at the end of the night, you might be sitting around a trash can fire. That's a fun night to me. Or, you know, I, I definitely wasn't the kid that they wanted. Um, after a little bit, uh, I mean, my mother is Catholic. Um, and then, uh, like I said, my, and then my father's a drunk. So if you know anything about those two, that's basically a shit storm in the making. Um, my mother from a young age, uh, my, me from a young age, my parents knew that I probably was going to develop some sort of mental health aspects. Um, today that is, uh, I am diagnosed with schizoaffective bipolar type one, and then an alphabet of other things like PTSD, ODD, OCD, ADHD, you name it. I probably have it. It seems like this at this point, you know, I joke that they just chucked the DM. DSM-5 at my head and said, fuck it, all of it. Um, so yeah, I have a bunch of that kind of stuff. And my mother thought it was derived from uh, demons. So that was the thing. And then on top of that, I also, my father was a drunk, like I said. So it's like, I had all these things. And if I wasn't what they exactly wanted, I wasn't that exact child that they pictured that's kind of where you got abuse coming in. And that probably started, I want to say right around the age of like, um, probably three, maybe four. Um, but like starting off light, you know, not something too extreme, uh, you know, maybe like a spanking or a slap across the face, you know, nothing too extreme. Um, they have my two other siblings, which, I have a rocky, tumultuous relationship with, but it's getting better. At least I'm trying to make it better. Um, I have my brother who's also adopted from Guatemala, who the adoption agency says that we're half siblings, but you look at us and you don't see a single thing that looks like it. And then uh, my parents' youngest is their biological daughter. Um, And that's a thing. So they got the two, they got the nuclear family they wanted eventually with my brother being a little sports jock. And then my sister being, um, you know, the smart creative one. And then there's me as the black sheep. Um, growing up, uh, my parents were, they basically set out a tower. Um, so it's like you had to earn their love and they set all three of our siblings, all three of us against each other. So whoever wanted it, uh, wanted the most had to earn it so like maybe good grades would definitely get you there you know no acting out you know all this kind of stuff um and as it got worse and worse probably around the age of five my I had like my first really big bout of anxiety and depression um going into like kindergarten I was terrified of it I just didn't like human beings in general and I still don't to this day um I don't know what it is, but I've had that like in me and that set into me. Um, so uh, I had like a super bad bout and my mom thought it was, like I said, demons. So she ended up uh, trying to like baptize me slash exercise me slash just drowning me in a bathtub. So that was a thing. Um, I think that's a very big core memory in my childhood. And throughout this, like, my dad was abusive. My dad was a drunk. Like he would be drinking 
64 packs of like Coors Light along with like two bottles of like Fireball. Um, or, you know, setting me and my brother up to like fist fight each other because he thought it was funny if there was no good sports games on that night. Or like any time that I would mention like wanting to do any type of art or learn an instrument or maybe even do like ballet or dance or anything like that. It was awful. Um, that all came to a boil right around the age of seven. I don't remember what set off this night, but I ended up uh, pissing off my dad and I wasn't big or strong. I have always been pretty on the smaller side of things. Um, he ends up basically like throwing me into like cabinets and like shattering glass over me and then uh, gets on top of me and starts choking me out. I black out and I wake up in a hospital. Don't know what happens after that. No one's ever told me. All I know is for a fact that um, that's when I woke up. Um, and we said it was a car accident. That's what I remember. Which I don't know how you say it's a car accident when you have choke marks around your neck, but whatever. Um, and I think that's really the first bout of like me noticing like, man, this fucking sucks. Like this really fucking sucks. Like this is what, you know, adoption looks like. And I had seen other forms of it, um, you know, going to camp for as long as I have. I've been going since I was an infant, basically. Um, How do you think camp impacted your lens of adoption, getting to see other transracial families and seeing other families maybe that were um, healthier? And, you know, did, did you notice that? Did that I think I did two things. One, during that age, you know, put any age between probably, I want to say 15 to five. So that 10 year period, it made me angry. It made me longing for that relationship. Like, don't get me wrong. I've seen other adoptees with, you know, tumultuous relationships, but nothing on the extremity. And especially since when I had to go up there, I had to act like everything was perfect. That's what pissed me off the most is like, you know, I might be having to wear long shirts in 90 degree weather because I have bruises and cut marks along my arms because I started self-harming probably right around the age of like six and like attempted suicide at the age of eight for the first time. Like, you know, shit got dark, like, especially in my childhood. Um, and then probably more towards like 15 onwards, I started genuinely, it gave me a fresh perspective on adoption that just like a restructuring almost like I could, I could say like mine was bad, but not everyone's was. I might be that one out of, you know, how many families are there? A hundred something. Mm-hmm. I don't know everyone family behind closed doors. Cause I acted plenty normal. So I might not be one out of like a hundred something families, but I might be one out of 10, one out of 25, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully higher than that, but you never know. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say I think that's so important to have on the radar like who are the kids who are pretending who are the kids wearing the long sleeves who are the kids because that even as a therapist I feel like at camp I'm so in it for meeting the families and finding potential clients and and I think that's one thing that I've been doing more as a counselor Mm -hmm. I look out for those people I'm saying who and which ones Granted, being a head counselor and some of the knowledge we get makes it easier. I'll admit that. 
you know, right. I'll leave it at that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's impactful, definitely. On the fact of the matter, it's like, if I can help this kid, and that's something, you know, AJ, Carolina. Carolina was my counselor, now she's director, and now I'm a court uh, coordinator, which blows my mind away. Um, to see, you know, Carolina, uh, God, what is, I think he's going by Chris now. Um, I don't remember exactly. Um, I knew him as Dan and I'm really bad with it. So, cause I don't see him enough, but, uh, Chris and a couple other of the counselors that weren't there this year, it was almost like a reprieve for 30 seconds to have those four to three days at camp. Cause it used to be three. It used to be like single day of activities, come do the fiesta and leave again. Yeah, I love hearing how Heritage Camps has positively impacted families. I know Deontay has been going forever and Glenna, this has been her first year. Well, I was the first, I went the first year, the first year they were up at Snow Mountain Ridge. But uh, yeah, no, I think camp, now has done more positive but back then it just made me angry like honestly just seeing everyone's happy family and now knowing like obviously with a more like more full developed brain i understand that what it can actually hold for me um like carlos for example i had him um i i'm i'm very opposed to like having kids i think we have this on the panel and stuff like that um to adopting kids and i that night going home we're going up to, back up to our cabin. Um, I sat out on the patio with Carlos and just talked to him. I was like, look, I really, really want kids. Like wholeheartedly. And I hate, like, you asked me even a year ago, I'd have been like, hell no, absolutely not. And uh, I'm like, I, I, I desperately want kids, but I can't have them, you know, physically. I can't have them you know, anyway, and it's, he's like, well, why not adoption? And I was like, I, I can't, my mind refuses to say like, it's a good thing still. And I still think it does more harm than good, especially if you look at like statistics and everything. I mean, how many, how much more are you susceptible to like mental health and stuff like that? So it's like, you know, I talked, I talked to him about it and it's like, you know, there was no correct answer to this conversation. It was opinion-based and, you know, whether I grasped what I grasped from it and what I didn't was my own and what he grasped from it was his own. Um, But I think we both grasped a lot from it. And even just that conversation, at least possibly built the first brick of me maybe looking towards that, but it's still a long road to build to even decide that, but just even those conversations now as an adult still are helpful. So like camps are a lot of good, um, but during those starting years, it was very bad. Absolutely, and I really appreciate you like kind of talking about the impact that camp has made both positive and um, on the negative side. I think like for me, um, it's been amazing like support because similar to you, I've been going for so long and then it's been a lot of people that I would consider family and there's people that have been to camp 
that honestly like know me better than people that I would consider like, my nowadays. Yeah. No, I definitely yeah. do. Um, I definitely have a group of friends up there that like all our fi- all our parents were coordinators as a kid. So we basically walked around like we owned fucking camp. Um, right. Right. You know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Like, you grew up there, you have that, like, swagger about you when you probably reach right around, like, 10 or 12, you're absolute little shits. And you're like, I'm going to punch you halfway across camp. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had that group, and I've grown up with them for so long that, like, I came up there, and this is my first year as me, as Kasima, and coming out, um, and dating about a fucking eye. I mean, one of them makes a remark where it was like, I saw this coming and I was like, thanks, you could have told me. Like, that would have been a lot helpful and like made my life easier. And then one of them was like, I didn't. And it was, you know, I got that spectrum of like being of like, eh, whatever. Another one, you know, had questions and I was like, yeah, I'll answer. But after that small conversation the first night, they were like, dope, let's go. Like, I love that. No, I love that. And like, um, when I was in college, I really struggled with like self-harm and it was like the people from camp that I first really said, Hey, I'm telling, I'm like struggling with these things, you know, um, I need some help. It was never like my parents that I went to first. It was always like my camp. People, oh no. Yeah. Because absolutely. I knew. So yeah. I mean, granted I can't go to my parents, but whatever. Right. <laughs> but, um, so I'm, I'm curious. Um, what point did you kind of realize, hey, I want to seek out additional like support, like counseling or whatever? Because I'm assuming that it wasn't in your upbringing, like childhood. I'm assuming. That um, wasn't. So I guess the first time that I experienced counseling, um, and we're going to use experience because getting help, I still don't even know if I'm getting that today from the person that I'm seeing. Because the person I'm seeing today just seems like, like they don't know what to do with me because I feel like, you know, I'm like, here's exactly what's happened in my life. And how do I fix this? And like, they're just like, that's a lot. And you're kind of broken. And I don't know how to fix this exactly. And it's like, uh, thanks. Like, <laughs> um, so I think the first time was when I got caught at school, probably around the age of 12. So middle school um, with like my arm just looking like a piece of fucking uh, sandpaper like completely like and it was not just my arm it was my both my arms my rib cage my legs everything and I got taken to children's hospital which if you've ever been to children's hospital don't go to children's hospital um but like I literally sat in a room and like some person that I didn't know came in and it was like let's talk and you know that was my first experience I had a longer term stay in a couple different facilities um but honestly, that really didn't help me. Um, I think what really helped me was my found family that I've have, I found over the years. Um, my older sister and my brother um, basically found me at like the lowest that I possibly could. Granted, don't get me wrong, like this is right after the uncle who raised me and showed me my love of music and love of art and like pushed me towards that was like a big part of it. But he had died from uh, cancer. And then um, my partner at the time had killed themselves and I ended up finding the body. So like I was at the lowest point in my life. I'm on drugs. I'm like homeless. I'm, you know, I'm bad. Like I'm sleeping in a bush almost. 
Um, and they found me and they were like, hey, so you've had a shit life. Um, but like the rest of it doesn't have to be. And kind of showed me like the way the world is. And like, n- like I said at the start of this, like the little happinesses that can be like, yeah, we might've been living out a car, but I wouldn't trade some of the memories around, you know, like I said, a trash can fire or like freezing our asses off, like trying to like build a snow fort in the middle of like a park, like just those little things. And then, like I said, like we'd also, since we were living in a car, we really didn't care about school. We really didn't know if tomorrow was a thing. Cause I mean, that's the life we were living. And when I say street rat, you can use your, uh, your brain to, to uh, accuse, or I guess assume what that means. Um, but think of it as, you know, a normal person would, uh, street rat is not a nice term and I've kind of reclaimed it for myself, but like for the longest time it wasn't, um, I mean, hell, I even have a rat king on my arm for that reason. But, uh, they, they kind of took me and they were like, Hey, this is what life can be. It doesn't have to be cool. It doesn't have to be torturous. They're the ones who got me off drugs. They're the ones who have tried to help me stop self-harming. Um, I think I'm only about a year clean from that. And I had to do that my, on my own. And that's mostly, and then that's, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to kick. And it still haunts me, you know, it, it's not easy and it never will get easy. That's, I think it's more addicting than Xanax or more addicting to any drug that I've ever done. And those are things I've overdosed on. Granted, I could say the same, I've overdosed on self-harming where it's like, you know, I'm lying in a bolt in my own puddle of blood or dying from it. Um, but it, it's them who taught me how to and restructure my mind. It, it's very hard to find a therapist who actually understands everything, you know, put the option, put the life that I had to do, live how to survive, put the abuse, put, you know, um, the LGBTQ stuff, everything into like one bubble. And it's, those are all things different therapists specialize in. And I don't know if I'll ever find one that understands everything. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for I'm kind of walking through that. I totally uh, get what you mean when you're saying how hard it is to like kind of kick the self-harm habit um, because at least in my experience, it's been like, well, crap, that was my coping mechanism. How the hell, like, what do I, how do I cope? And here's the issue is when you have an eating disorder, self-harm, and you're on drugs, those are your three pillars, my guy. That's how you're coping because it's senses of control. And this is something I've learned in therapy. So like I said, I might've learned a little bit, but like, (laughs) who knows? Um, But like, those are my, I guess, like, that's how I had control in my life because there was no sense of control. Like I said, it was pure chaos for a a decade of like living in the streets, doing what I have to do to survive. And um, those are how I controlled everything. And now to try to take all three away has been a real struggle. And it's trying to replace one of those legs before I take the other one out from underneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good way to describe it. So, like, music has became a huge way for me to, like, you know, that's that's what I took out from when I said I'm going to stop doing drugs, especially my drug of choice was Xanax. 
um, after I overdosed for the third time and my sister woke up, woke up with me in the car and was like, you can't do this because if I have to bury your body, I'm going to come next after you. And I was like, fuck. Um, we sat there for a week and a half, like, you know, no Narcan, no anything, like me just shaking and sweating. And it was the worst, one of the worst weeks of my life. Um, puking my guts out, everything. Just, you know, detoxing your body. And like, I, I replaced music because what we would do is we'd sit in the car and we'd talk and I'd be angry as fuck at her sometimes. Like, how can you take this from me? This is like what I need and blah, 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 blah. You had all those conversations. So sometimes there was silence and sometimes it was just music. So that's what I used to replace that. And I'm, you know, that, and then, you know, finding something for self-harm has been a struggle. Finding something to replace, you know, my eating disorder and like growing a want for food is a struggle. And, you know, I want to say, honestly, like that's probably still something I'm looking for, for both of those is like the leg to shove underneath the table so it doesn't tip over um so yeah I don't know I, I mean yeah I don't, I don't really know where to go after that question um so if anyone else has one please be my guest yes I have a question um what advice could you give to an adoptee who maybe is listening to this and maybe has dealt or is dealing with abuse right now or addiction or cutting um what is just some, I don't know, pretty, you know, vague advice, but something that you found supportive that you wish you had known when you were younger. Let's see. Honestly, um, I think they're all different answers. Uh, for the person experiencing abuse, um, my uncle used to say something, and it was, when life gets hard, let the music play. And I expanded on that saying by let the music drown everything out. Because that's what you need when you're in such an abusive relationship. And I've been in, you know, an abusive relationship, not with just my parents, but with my ex and my most recent ex and stuff like that. And I honestly think that stands clear. It's like when you're sitting there and your like body is screaming in pain, whether it be during the act or after the act, It's probably the second darkest place my mind has ever been where it's just you sit there and it's you know your bones might be snapped honestly like that's that's been there like you know i've had my my wrist broken my ankle my entire ribs my skull that hurts and it's just breathe and try to find something that can distract you i'm not gonna say oh you can fix this because in that moment, you can't, you're hopeless and you feel down. So honestly, find something to distract you. Obviously, I hope that it's positive, but I understand sometimes it can be negative and sometimes that just might get you through the next day. And that's, that's a dark thing to say, but I'd rather someone do something a little negative, whether that be drug, self-harm. You know, I'm not endorsing this, obviously, but that is better than blowing your fucking brains out or, you know, cutting your throat. That is still better because it might take 
an extra hand or an extra couple people to drag you out of that darkness. Um, to someone who's addicted to drugs and stuff like that, um, find someone who you trust wholeheartedly. I'm saying someone who loves you unconditionally and it's going to be the most terrifying moment of your life to open up to them and just say, I don't know how deep you are. You might be addicted to, you know, alcohol or weed or something like that. You know, something that's, or you might be addicted to fucking meth and heroin and stuff like that, but opening up and just telling that one person or how an AA meeting and an NA meeting, anyone like that, but that takes a lot more guts. I also don't believe in their philosophy too much because to quit everything is bullshit. I still drink. I still smoke. Um, to open up and just say like, look, I don't know where I stepped off the path, but like, I don't know how deep this pit goes and it's scaring me. And then looking at them and they might not even know, and they might just say, I'm there to support you, but also don't let them force you into anything that you do not want to do. If they're like, we're going to take you to rehab tomorrow and we're going to get you this, like, that's a lot. You just opened up to them. That was the scariest moment of your life, possibly. Um, really? I'm going to take your collar off you next time. Um, just know your limitations, but reach out to a single human being just to have some support because drug addiction is the darkest tunnel I've been in where it really does feel like you're swimming in black. And if you, I guess that's the easier way to say is like, that water is filling your lungs, but it feels so good, but you know you're drowning. And to breathe air feels like fire. Um, to self-harm, uh, this is a really hard one for me. Because honestly, like I just said, I don't think anyone can pull you out. And I think it's you trying to find something that like is worth living for. My guy. Um, worth living for or just worth just the next day like find something that wouldn't want to see you hurt like that um, this one over here for example hates when I do it like I have to lock myself in the bathroom or she'll come up and like knock the blade out of my hand and the idea of her cutting herself on that blade scares me more so like I'll lock myself in the bathroom, but then, you know, she's screaming and whining. So like find something that you can make it for. Like I, you know, it's, that one's such a hard road that I don't think there's any easy word. There's no easy word for any of these because strictly if it was, they would have written on a pamphlet, set you on your way and said, there you go. There's your answers. And that's it. That's the bottom line. There is no correct answer for any of these to say to someone. And that's, wholeheartedly the truth is there is no correct answer but I can you know look for something that resonates with you especially when it comes to self-harm thank you thanks for answering those and um making them each separate things for us and Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us. And those you who can't see, um, Cosimo was uh, talking about their dog and how she freaks out when um, they cut. So 
Um, anything else before we wrap up, or do we feel complete? I could talk about this for hours. I like, I think hearing my story is important and, you know, I, I think I have a very unique adoption story, especially once you get to more of my teenage years, it's, it gets crazy. Um, but I don't, I mean, obviously it's, you know, not three hours long or something like that where I could explain every single detail and stuff like that. So. Well, thank you so much for being here um, and sharing your story. I think you do have a unique story and I do think it's important. We don't often talk about um, those topics here. And so thanks for being the first and we hope to maybe have you back one day and you know hear how your journey is going, especially with the tattooing and piercing and all the pieces. I like it's episode 25, you know, that's a big number for y'all. Yeah. That's a yeah. huge number. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this has been quite the project. Episode 100. Think about it that way. That's a huge step. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. All right. Um, thank you, listeners. We appreciate you. And we look forward um, to our next episode coming out soon.